Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. I think we're recording, Scott. How, how do you know? Well, I heard the loons. Did you? Yeah, typically that's the beginning. I didn't hear loons, so that might have just been in your head. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I am Mike Brown, creator and host, and with me as usual is my good friend and co-host, Scott Hemingway. Say hello, Scott. Hello, y'all. Channeling my inner Texan. Inner Texan. Inner, inner Texan. Well, yeah. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadians chatting about crime in the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, which I forgot last week. And I took mine off. Grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Snarf, snarf, snarf. This is episode 69. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> of course. And why is that so funny, Mike? I, it's not. No, it is. <laughs> a reminder for those of you planning on going to CrimeCon, but have yet to buy tickets. Buy the tickets. You can buy your tickets at the CrimeCon.com site. Mm-hmm. And when you check out, use our promo code poutine 19 to get 10% off your ticket price. Now, is that poutine 19 with just the numbers 19? Yeah. So poutine, poutine 19. 19. Yeah. So do it. You'd be really helping us out. You would. And we'd really love that. And we would. Because that helps us help you out. Exactly. Yeah. Also, we have another giveaway this week. This is so cool. Our friend, Alan R. Warren, who ended up giving 50 books away Jeez. instead of 12 last time. Alan's so kind of you. Either Kindle or paperback. Mm-hmm. Last time it was the Moore's Murders. This time it's the Grinder Killer. Ooh. So the first 12 Dark Poutine listeners who can email him at Radio Cub, that's Cub with two Bs, so Radio C-U-B-B, at gmail.com with the subject line, Grinder Killer will get a book. Last time you said 12, got way more. Can't guarantee he'll do it again. Yeah, probably but, not. But send away, send away. Uh, so I'm going to assume that Grinder Killer, judging by the spelling of it, is, is the Grinder app, not like this person ground up the people that- That is correct. He, she killed. Okay. It is the Grinder 
Ah, app. Okay, sounds fascinating. Killer, yes. This giveaway will be between April 15th and April 20th. So, mm. Yeah. So get at it while the... Well, probably the first day they'll they'll be gone because that's what happened last time. Yeah. And if you get a book from Alan, or even if you've read one that, hey, I read one of Alan's books, give him a review on Amazon or Goodreads or one of those places. That really helps him out. Yeah. And, and even like it, it's really helpful for creators if you like... You, you tweet or Instagram and hashtag them and they're... Yep. Uh, they're, Somebody did Instagram the book that they got from him. The yeah. Last one. I can tell you as, as creative individuals, it, it if nothing else, it's rewarding to see somebody enjoying something you've done. So, uh, so there you go. Yeah. So email radiocub, that's cub with two Bs, at gmail.com with the subject line grinder killer. Hopefully you're one of the first 12 to do it. On with the show. Let's get to it. Some listeners may find the graphic details of the crimes and abuse included in this episode extremely disturbing. Uh, okay, so we don't really put that in there often, Mike, so this one must be... You've been warned. Jeez, okay, all right, I yep. have been, as have you. On August 14th, 1989, an emaciated woman favoring the stump of a recently severed arm uh -oh. emerged from the woods near the tiny town of Burnt River, Ontario, which sits approximately 165 kilometers northeast of Toronto, up Highway 404. The woman was known to police for her association with the Ant Hill Kids, hmm. a commune in the woods led by enigmatic spiritual guru Rock Terrio. Huh. I, this is not something I'm familiar with. Authorities long had suspected Terrio and his group of neglecting and abusing the 20-odd children who also lived there, most that Terrio had sired himself. Okay. The OPP also suspected Terrio of many additional violent, brutal crimes against his followers and their children, including murder. Ooh. As Terrio's local adherents were tight-lipped, it took time for the OPP to pry the real story from them. Slowly... The picture of Canada's very own violent Manson-like cult began to take shape. This is the story of Rock Terrio and the Ant Hill Kids. Hmm. Jeez, okay, this sounds fascinating and terrifying. It is both. Yeah. I keep wanting to call Rock Terrio Rock Cuisine. Oh. Do you know who Rock Cuisine is? <laughs> well, is he has a little Canadian music. He's a francophone singer, yeah. songwriter, yeah. and TV personality from St. Basile, New Brunswick. I don't think I have thought about him since I probably last saw him on Much Music. Uh, many, uh, many like years 25, ago. <laughs> 30 yeah, so years ago. More for me than anyone else. They are not remotely the same person, so hopefully I don't call, say, Rock Voisine numerous times throughout this, because I'll probably get sued saying that Rock Voisine is a murderer, because he's not. So as this... far as I know. <laughs> we'll plot twist. <laughs> no, Rock Voisine seems like a very, very nice person. He totally does. And he actually wanted to be a, an NHL hockey player at I... one point. You have a lot of rock was in knowledge. Well, I did a little bit of homework. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. Rock Terrio was born on May 16th, 1947 in Saguenay, Quebec, about 200 kilometers north of Quebec City. Of note, Rock Terrio was a direct descendant of some of the first European settlers to make their home in Acadia in the 1640s. Oh, interesting. They'd settled in Port Royal along the Bay of Fundy in what would later become the province of Nova Scotia. As many of the Acadians were expelled back to France or settled in Louisiana, Rock's branch of the Terrio family fled to New France, now Quebec, 
where they settled along the St. Lawrence River. So wait a minute. Quebec was once called New France? Yes, it was. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) New France. Did you go to school in Canada? Debatable. Rock's father, Hyacinth, was a house painter and casual laborer. Rock's mother, Pierrette, stayed home to care for the kids. Both Rock's parents were devout Catholics and felt it was their responsibility to fill the world with other Catholics. So they wanted to have a large family. Oh, great. Rock had an older sister and six younger brothers and sisters. Eight of them all in all. Yeah. Okay. His sister Monica did die, though, when she was just a baby. Oh. Sad. Oh, that is sad. When Rock was six years old, his family moved roughly 100 kilometers south of Quebec City, halfway to the border with Maine, to another small city called Thetford Mines. That was the city. Thetford Mines. Thetford Mines. Hmm. It was founded in 1876 around its rich asbestos deposits. Thetford Mines is a francophone community with an old world feel to it, as many small communities in Quebec Mm -hmm. have. Mm -hmm. The Christian faith, especially Catholicism, is the prevalent branch of Christianity in Quebec. It's alive and well in the small town. The skyline is dotted with more than one steeple. Rock and the other kids went to a small four-room schoolhouse in the town. They didn't stand out much, according to Paul Kaila and Ross Laver in their book, Savage Messiah. The Terrios were seen as backwoods people and didn't make much of an impression on their schoolmates. None of the Terrio children went on to high school, as far as I can gather. Hmm. This was, uh, I'm assuming, 70s? Well, no. He was born in 40s. Holy shit. Yeah. So Exactly. That's what I meant to say. Although Rock left school in the seventh grade, he was intelligent, and unlike his siblings, he loved to read. After helping around a neighboring farm, Rock would often be seen with his nose in a book. Hmm. Rock's father, Hyacinth, resented government and the banks. He joined a militant conservative group called the White Berets that wanted more strict Christian values in Catholic society. Sounds kind of scary. Yeah. The group went door to door with pamphlets and a heavy handed spiel trying to gain support. Yeah, there's no, no, no better way to try to convince people than with heavy handedness. Right. They preached about flattening the class system and wanted to topple the big banks, giving money and power back to the people. Well, yeah, I can get behind that. Rock was forced to go along with his father on these door to door missions. He was embarrassed and humiliated. He quickly came to resent Catholicism and the church. Mm-hmm. I can get that. Rock's parents were strict, and it was said his mother, Pierrette, could often be heard yelling at the Terrio kids. Hyacinth was strict too, claiming he did not ever beat his kids, but they certainly feared him and were punished whenever they were, quote, out of line. Sounds like beating. Rock said differently, claiming Hyacinth, a raging, violent alcoholic, beat him regularly. Hmm. Rock had friends in Thetford Mines his own age. He was fit and good-looking, with blue eyes that the local girls loved. He had no trouble getting any girlfriends. Well, now. And he loved telling a good story and hanging out with his buddies. Conversely, Rock loved solitude of the wilderness, and often, to escape his crappy home life, he'd take off by himself into the bush for a walk. His mother nagged him to be careful saying that he might be eaten by bears. You know, so far he sounds like a relatively healthy individual given the circumstances of his upbringing. I agree. He also loved to work with his hands, building things and carving. Rock married his first wife when he was 20 in 1967. 
and the couple moved to Montreal where Rock worked cleaning chimneys and inspecting furnaces. He had worked for the fire department there. Hmm. They had their first son in 1969, Rock Sylvan. Francine was pregnant again in 1970 with another boy, Francois. Rock became ill around this time. He began to suffer from massive abdominal pain. Rock was diagnosed with duodenal ulcers, which required surgery. A huge portion of Rock's stomach was removed. Holy shit. Recovery was extremely painful. Rock began to read medical books voraciously about his condition, which was not improving very much. Oh, thank God he didn't have Google back then. By the fall of 1970, he was hospitalized again for a second operation, removing even more of what was left of his stomach. Wow. This operation complete, Rock's medical situation did not improve. He was vomiting and constantly had diarrhea after he ate. That sounds terrible. He was diagnosed with a rare nerve-related disorder called dumping syndrome that only people who had portions of their stomachs removed seemed to acquire. Hmm. This is when, to quell the constant pain, Rock turned to painkillers and later on switched to alcohol as his painkiller, saying the pain pills drained him. Pretty common with people suffering from chronic pain, for sure. Rock became possessed with the idea that he was dying and would, according to the book Savage Messiah, tell people his insides were made of plastic. His marriage to Francine began to go downhill as Rock became more self-centered and angrier in his pain. Mm. Rock was suffering mightily, in a lot of pain and thought, as a result, he could do as he please. He acted like his problems outshone those of anyone else on the planet. Rock had quit his job, and to make ends meet, he began building handmade furniture, trying to sell it to the drunks in local watering holes. This didn't last long, as there wasn't a huge market for what Rock was selling. Yeah, I was going to say, especially at the watering holes. Yeah, they need their money for their booze. Yeah. The family was soon bankrupt, and they'd lost their home to the bank. Mm. Rock and Francine were over. She was done with him. Good call, Francine. Rock, always attractive, was able to meet and marry his second wife, Giselle, pretty much right away. He and Giselle were happy for a time until Rock started talking incessantly about God religion, and the occult. Oh, okay. He went to a Catholic religious meeting wearing a black cape sporting an artist's rendition of the devil on it. He told everyone that they should have one too. The people at the meeting thought Rock was weird. Yeah, I'd say at a Christian uh, religious meeting with that cape. Yeah. Yeah. In reality, Rock's cheese was slipping off its cracker. Yeah, clearly. Rock read as many books as he could about religion, occultism, and medicine. He finally broke with the Catholic Church. He then became attracted to the Seventh-day Adventist Church, a Protestant denomination. Rock began attending the SDA Church in Thetford Mines. A few things set the Seventh-day Adventist Church apart from other Protestant faiths, and they are. They are. SDA believes strongly in the veracity of the Scripture as written in the Bible. There's no wiggle room. Oh, so traditionalists. Very, yeah, yeah, so they're very married to the word. Yeah. SDA doctrine says that when a person passes away, they remain unconscious until resurrected by God. However, only those who are saved, having accepted Christ, are awakened. The others are burned by fire in an act of, quote, mercy. Uh, wow, that's pretty black and white. It's very hellfire and brimstone. Yeah. 
As alluded to above, SDA believed that Jesus is the only path to salvation. Sorry, other religions. Yep, yep. The SDA believes strongly that the second coming is close and people should have their spiritual act together before he arrives. All the righteous, living and dead, will be whisked up to heaven upon Jesus' arrival. Oh. Satan and his fallen angels will wreak havoc on the earth for the next thousand years. It's a lot of years. After that eon, Satan and his angels and the wicked folks left on earth will be wiped out and the righteous can return to earth now a pristine Eden. I'm kind of scared. <laughs> SDA also believes that the human body is a temple of God. You should eat right, maintaining a vegetarian diet. You should not smoke or drink alcohol. Rock, however, said his pain excused him from maintaining that belief about alcohol. Yeah, clearly, um, I'm going to be suffering for a thousand years. Me too. Yeah. Rock became one of the church's best recruiters, using his charisma to attract new SDA adherents. Yeah. Rock began preaching at the church, giving charismatic and intelligent sermons that churchgoers, especially women, really enjoyed. So they were probably going for him and not what he was saying in his curly locks <laughs> rock began to believe that he was god's messenger and had been given special instructions to prepare people for the second coming and looming apocalypse <sighs> Rock's sermons became concerning to church officials as he was telling the flock that he he had personally met god and knew what was coming oh wow personally eh? personally. did he get an autograph no, i don't think so uh, i would recommend that Rock began to give seminars offering detoxification from booze and cigarettes. This is when his popularity took off and he began to collect a group of followers all dedicated to Rock and his mission to build a better world before the apocalypse. He traveled across the province gathering followers as he went. Now in his own words, translated from French, he said, quote, I organized detoxification sessions in several cities across Quebec in four different counties a five-day program based on healthy eating, psychology, and group therapy achieved excellent results. Well, that does sound quite wonderful. Sure. People believed in Rock's message so fervently that some quit their jobs to follow him. Many of them were vulnerable seekers with backstories of abuse and disenchantment with life for a variety of reasons. Hmm, this seems quite familiar. Rock seemed to them to have the answers they were looking for. Yeah, very uh, Jonestown-y so far. Yep. If you think about it, David Koresh was also a Seventh-day yes. Adventist. Oh, was he? Yes, he was. Okay. An offshoot of that. Yeah. But obviously, the Seventh-day Adventist Church does not condone the behavior of either of these two individuals. Here in Rock's words, also translated from French, Rock is speaking on how and why his commune was founded. And this is from InfoCult. People coming to live and... Quote... People coming to live and work with me led to some serious organizational problems. They had all left paid jobs to devote their time to this new work. Since my courses had no set fee and participants paid whatever they could at the end of each session, it was impossible for me to pay my helpers. This is what prompted us to create a commune. End quote. Yeah, well, I mean, trying to finance your cult operation is a... Well, it's not a cult at this point. Not in his yet. Mind. No, but yeah, still trying to finance any kind of movement. Uh, well, it requires finance. Rock had grown a massive beard. Sweet. 
Although balding in the front, he let his hair grow long. Along with his magnetic personality, athletic physique, and piercing blue eyes, this completed his guru-like presence. Yeah, and I mean, you can laugh at that, but there is, like, one of the big traits of these individuals, these leaders, is being very charismatic. Absolutely. The group were involved in some altruistic activities at first. They fed the underprivileged for free, and they cared for a young girl who had been suffering from MS. Yep, I can't shoot that down. Rock claimed that the SDA church took issue with his crew as they were doing things for, relatively for free, and not requiring donations, as he was encouraging people to pay what they could, but only if they could. Mm -hmm. The rift between Rock and the strict SDAs grew, and eventually Rock and his followers were expelled from the church. Oh, okay. Undeterred, they continued to travel and offer their detox services around the province, and first settled in Bose County and began ministering to the people there. It all sounds so lovely and altruistic at this point. Like, it sounds like they intend to do good. So far, so good. Yeah. As time passed, Rock began implementing new rules within the group. Oh, okay, that always goes over great. The group, he said, were chosen by God. Non-believers were evil. Okay. Rock demanded that the group members cut themselves off from their family and friends, justifying with quotes from the Bible. According to an article on InfoCult, he told them they must, quote, keep evil at arm's length. Yeah, another very common trait to cults. Isolating followers. He also wanted followers to wear the same clothes, like a uniform to indicate that they were his followers. Another form of control by cult leaders, again, setting the group apart from the masses. Yep, yep. After living in Bose for almost a year, on June 5th, 1978, Rock decided to move to the Gaspé region. Okay, I don't know where that is. It's a peninsula on the eastern side of Quebec that separates the St. Lawrence from New Brunswick. He claimed that he'd been planning on going alone and that the group just, quote, followed him there without prompting. Uh, no, I, I suspect that isn't true. If, you know, if anything, you create a group of people who are dependent on you, they will follow you even if you don't ask them to. Well, here's how, here was Rock's take on it, again, ah, from InfoCult. Okay. Quote, we'd been living all together for close to a year, then I decided to move there without entertaining the idea of bringing the rest of the group with me. I have to admit my desire to isolate myself in this magical place was irrational, inexplicable, and very personal. But time had strengthened our bonds, and we are united more than ever in this endeavor. So you're on the right track, I Mm. think, Mm -hmm. you know. He just made it impossible for them to say no. Yeah, exactly. At that point, you don't have to sit down with them all and say, like, look, I'm going here and you're coming. They're going to come. Over a month, they built a cabin or chalet in the woods in an area of the gas pay as far from civilization as they could manage to be comfortably. This is when the group got their nickname, the Anthill Kids, for how industrious they were. Uh, Okay, I was wondering where the name came from. In another display of control over the group, Rock decided that the individuals in the group should be renamed with more biblical names for the nine women and two men and himself. Although other members came and went over the years, this was the core group. Mm. While the rest of the group drew names from a hat, Rock reserved one name for himself. Of course. From then on, the group was to call him Moise, which is the French translation of Moses. Uh, Wow, how 
According to ancient.eu, Moses, born around 1400 before Christ, is considered one of the most important religious leaders in world history. He's claimed by the religions of Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Baha'i, and an important prophet of God and the founder of monotheistic belief. Wow. So go big or go home, I guess. That's that's a lofty name to have to live up to. Well, probably not in his mind. (laughs) No, yeah. Rock's second wife, Giselle, an adherent and still with him after all these antics, became Esther. So that's nice and nice. I like that name. It's very biblical. People in the group also called Terio Papi, or father. To keep the noses of the authorities out of group business, Terio registered the commune as a church. In early January of 1979, Rock fathered the first of the children born in the commune, which, according to Infosect, was the first of 28 children born to Rock and his followers over the next 12 years. Dear God. As mentioned at the beginning of this episode, it's believed that Rock himself fathered many, if not all, of the children born in the group. Wow. Right? Wow. He reveled in the fact that the women in the group often fought over his attention. Yeah, wow. Doesn't it also sound like an egomaniac? And it's weird how cults always have to turn to sex. Like, always. Yeah. It's bizarre. Well, I I think aside from Heaven's Gate, because I think they would, like, Heaven's Gate was not... Doe. Yes. He had his... uh, Wee-wee. His wee-wee and clinkers removed. Yeah. His meat and two veg. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, there still could have been sexual motivation. Which there was, because he was apparently in denial of being a homosexual. Yes, yes. But, uh, yeah, sex wasn't prevalent in there at all. Yeah. But there was that component of it. Yes. It was here in Gaspé where Rock told his followers of a prophecy. God had told him that the world was going to end on the 19th of February, 1979. Well, well, I'm pretty sure this is 2019 and we're still here. Well, it didn't happen. Oh, few. when it didn't. Rock gave his followers some malarkey about how he'd miscalculated God's time as Earth time. Apparently, there's a difference. Clearly, and we all know that. The group bought his line and continued preparing for the inevitable apocalypse that had to be just around the corner. Every couple of years, there's some quack who gets cycled around TV saying the year is gonna, the the world is gonna end on this date, and clearly, it's never happened. We'll take a quick break. What about clean living? What about it? Rock was eating meat, shoving potato chips into his face and drinking pop. That doesn't sound like the clean living he was talking about. As well as booze. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. He was drinking like a fish, still in pain from his numerous stomach ailments and operations. Followers were to do as he said, not as he did. And they did. Or they'd be brutally punished by Rock, often with physical violence. Wow. When he was drunk, he got very angry. Yeah, that happens with with drunks. Not all, but especially those who have underlying issues. This one definitely, and word of warning, from this point on, there will be very graphic descriptions of violent behavior. He punished his children viciously, berating them, even holding a knife to their throats at times. 
He would even nail a boy or a girl to a tree and have the other kids throw rocks at the offender. And nail. Nail them to a tree? Nail them to a tree. Like crucifix kind of a th- That stance? kind of thing. Yeah. Oh my god. Holy shit. The adults were punished too, often brutally punched and kicked by other members of the group as instructed by Rock after some perceived infraction. Terrio would claim that the person was straying from the flock. The desire to leave the group was a particularly egregious crime. Others he accused of spying on the group for the authorities, with zero evidence, or simply God told him to punish that person. So you gain control, you bring people in with these altruistic uh, beliefs, and then once you have them, it's threats of violence and fear that are what will keep them. Yeah. The group earned money to survive by selling baked goods door-to-door and to small shops in the area, but they were punished when they didn't bring in enough cash. The consequences that came were fast and severe. For one offense, Rock's wife Giselle had one of her toes snipped off with a pair of wire cutters on Rock's orders. What? Yep. What? Another female member, Tirza, formerly Gabrielle, also had a finger cut off at Rock's direction by the same man with the same wire clippers. What in the shit? It just keeps getting better, Scott. Oh, God. Rock believed he was the only medical help anyone in the group might need, performing first aid, and wasn't above surgery if he felt it was required. He saw himself as a healer or even the group's shaman. One of his followers who'd come down with something was given a wine enema to cure the condition. Wow, if you could all see my face right now. Yeah, it's a look look of shock. Wow. Rock forbade the group members to speak to each other without his being present. (laughs) Sex, of course, was out of the question without his permission. Or without him, I would imagine. Yeah. Legal troubles soon began for Rock and the Ant Hill kids. You don't say. At one point, after many rumors of the goings-on at the site... Police moved in to enforce a court order that one of the members already had against them. I'm not sure what it was for. Hmm. Rock refused to release the member to police and was arrested. After a psychiatric evaluation that found him fit, Rock was tried for obstruction and found guilty, but only given a suspended sentence. Hmm. Okay. He was free to return to his commune, and the group welcomed him back warmly. Well, yeah, um, as much as it sounds easy in my head to just say, oh, that was your chance to run. Again, manipulation, control, all those good things. The horrific abuse, punishments, and barbaric medical treatments continued. People were hung from the ceiling, beaten with hammers and belts, and they had all their body hair plucked out one at a time. (sighs) My God. Sometimes offenders were defecated on by Rock or someone he ordered to do the deed. This is bonkers. Others were forced to eat feces or dead mice. What the hell is going on? They were even forced to break their own legs, often with a sledgehammer. Oh, no. No. I told you this was a crazy one. What the hell? Rock's women, who he saw as his concubines were to give up sex to him whenever he desired it. Oh, shit. And he didn't stop with the women, though. On multiple occasions, Terrio sexually abused the children, too. Oh, God, that that sets it off for me. The first death in the group occurred sometime in 1981. Was it him? 
No. Damn it! One of the males in the group was angered by the constant crying of a two-year-old boy while his parents were out. The man brutally beat the little boy, injuring him badly. Rock and his assistant Gabrielle, a nurse in her pre-anthill kid's life, performed surgery on the boy using sterilized scissors and injecting the child with rubbing alcohol in his stomach. No. Holy sh... No. The child died two days later. Two goddamn years old. Yeah. Oh, that innocence. Yeah. Some reports indicate that that story, as told by Ant Hill Kids members to authorities later, is not true. They surmise that the baby died from alcohol poisoning when Rock was trying to circumcise the youngster. Either one, Either one. infuriates me. Later... The man who supposedly beat the child was castrated after a vote by the group. Well, um... Rock claimed the man was having, quote, breathing difficulties related to his testicles. <laughs> I know you're laughing out of uncomfortability. Exactly. And not because you think it's funny. No, uh, it's just, it, like, I'm just you're, constantly... Yeah, every, you're, every, you're incredulous. Every sentence, yeah. I'm just bewildered and shocked. Yep. Rock also felt the man needed to atone for his part in the death of the boy. While the man was held down, Rock removed his testicles and placed them into a tissue. My shit. A razor blade. Yeah. A razor blade. That's not a very, that, there's a lot, I think a lot of uh, cutting. Uh, and... Ooh, yeah. yeah, it's not a scalpel. And why put him into a tissue at this point? Yeah. And there was never any anesthetic either. Yeah, I was. Yeah, it wasn't even. This guy is a, a sadist. Oh, like, he is shit, sadistic yes. as they come. Yes. The man who had had his testicles cut off fled the group. Gee, I wonder why. You don't say. And told people about the abuse and death of the child. On December ninth, nineteen eighty one. Police raided the commune, arresting Rock and three other members, accusing them of the death of the boy and performing the castration on the man who'd escaped. Oh, I, I can imagine being the officers involved in hearing this and just going like, no, this can't be. Yeah. Like, this can't be real. According to InfoCult, 10 months later, the four commune members were, quote, found guilty of illegally practicing medicine, causing the death of young Ezekiel. That was the boy's. Yeah biblical name yeah they were all sentenced to jail nine months to one year for the death of a two-year-old child yes while the remaining commune members kept the home fires burning rock terrio wrote a book full of baloney about the group's time in gas bay yeah i'm sure it it paints this uh, uh mecca wonderful utopia of, of joyfulness yep not having your balls chopped off by a razor. Yeah, good lord. Breaking your own leg with a sledgehammer. Isn't this crazy? It's bonkers. Sick of interference from the police and the Quebec government, on May 1st, 1984, the commune pulled up stakes and left the province. They chose as their next home a plot in the forest as far outside the town of Burnt River, Ontario, as they could get. Burnt River is a tiny place and still today houses only about 250 people. Hmm. It's more than remote enough for Rock and the Ant Hill kids to set up shop. Yeah. The depravity continued. Oh, great. Great news. Tirza had a child who died in January of 1985. As Children's Aid was already aware of the group and involved, they heard of the death of the child right away and investigated. 
an autopsy was performed, and it was determined that the child had died from sudden infant death syndrome. Mm, so not something you can prosecute. Rumors were contrary to that story, though. Some claimed that the baby had been left out in the cold on purpose, hoping it would freeze to death and avoid the abuse that Terrio would surely inflict upon the poor child. So by the mom, a gesture of mercy. Yeah. Okay. But that's a rumor. Speculation, yeah. I read that in a few different places. One young boy fled into town after being severely beaten. The youngster told police that Rock had been sexually abusing him as well. Oh, God, poor kid. On December 6, 1985, six police officers, accompanied by ten social workers, raided the commune. Fourteen of the children, aged five months to 16 years, were taken into custody and put into foster care. Some of the kids began relating harrowing tales of sexual abuse at the hands of Rock Terrio. Oh, these poor kids. No charges were brought against Terrio at the time, as the adults all denied that any sexual abuse was taking place. Yeah, so the, the parents who would need to be speaking up weren't. Yeah. Regardless, between 1986 and 1988, nine more children were born to the commune and then taken into custody only days after being born. On September 28, 1988, Rock was drunk and angry. He said he wanted to see blood. Oh, shit. From the book Cults That Kill, quote, Solange Boyard, 32, who had been previously complaining of stomach pains, was lying naked on a wooden bakery table. Terrio, the self-proclaimed savior who led the Israelites out of Egypt, wore red robes, jewelry, and a crown for the occasion. In this likely unsterile holy getup, while some of his own children looked on, he punched Boyard in the stomach and shoved an enema tube up her rectum to treat her with a combination of olive oil and molasses. Then, sans anesthesia, Terrio cut open his spiritual wife's abdomen and ripped out a piece of her intestines using his bare and presumably ungloved hand. Once Terrio was done, he ordered Gabrielle Lavallee, his trusted nurse, to stitch her back up. Boyard died a day later, and her body was buried on the Ant Hill Kids' property. End quote. Oh, the poor pain that woman must have gone through. Like, horrific. Like, that's like... <sighs> and not only that, you have a bunch of children who are now traumatized oh, by shit, seeing yes. this. Oh, And absolutely. I'm sure this isn't the first time that they've seen something like something this. Something traumatic, no. Yeah. Just, holy shit. Ripping out a part of her intestines with his bare hands. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about what happened next, but yeah. before leaving her alone, Terrio disinterred Solange's body three times. On each occasion... He performed depraved and necrophilic acts with the corpse. Prior to her final burial, Rock removed one of Solange's ribs and fashioned it into a necklace. What the... She finally came to rest in a grave on the compound, while the group claimed publicly that she'd gone to visit family. You know, I guess there's a point when you're witnessing your leader do things like this. Threats become a hell of a lot more... Yeah, if he says, if you do that, I'll kill you. And you've watched him do it? You know he yeah. means it. Yeah. Yep. Gabrielle became a favorite target of Rock's. 
In November of 1988, Rock removed eight of Gabrielle's teeth with a pair of pliers for poor pastry sales. Mm. Gabrielle ran away from the Anthill Kids compound after, but came back unable to go on without her true love, Moses. This was the first of many attempts at escape for her. All saw her return to Rock and the commune, taking the requisite punishment. In the spring of 1989, Rock wanted all his followers to write him a letter praising him for saving them. Gabrielle refused. Her punishment this time was to lay her hand flat, palm down on the baking table. Rock produced a hunting knife and plunged it through the top of her hand, going through skin, bone, muscle, and sinew right into the wooden table below. For four hours, Gabrielle was pinned to the table and winced in white-hot pain, while Rock began to slice and dig into her forearm with a sharp, curved carpet knife he had on hand. He threw chunks of her flesh on the floor, as though whittling a piece of wood. It was here that Gabrielle realized that Terrio was no savior. Rock said he was concerned that her arm would turn gangrenous, so he removed the knife from the table, leaving it still in Gabrielle's hand. Gabrielle was dragged to a nearby stump, forced to kneel, and place her arm across the stump. After two tries, Rock drunkenly managed to hack off Gabrielle's arm just above the elbow with a dirty meat cleaver. All she could do was watch as her arm flopped to the ground. In her mind, she congratulated herself for not crying out through the whole ordeal. She was bandaged and left lying on the floor for the night. The next day, one of the men burned Gabrielle's severed arm on the fire outside. Gabrielle was tied up, and her stump was cauterized by rock using a piece of metal from a truck's drive shaft he'd heated red hot with a blowtorch. She was then stitched up crudely with itchy twine. Gabrielle continued to be tortured by Rock, who cut off a chunk of her breast one night. But, as her strength was returning, she knew what she wanted to do, and finally she could. She fled the Anthill Kids compound and the madman Rock Terrio for the last time. A few of the commune members, fearing for their own lives, left too. On August 16, 1989, Gabrielle Lavallee told police how she'd lost her arm. I'll just be sitting over here with my jaw on the ground. Holy fuck. Is that one of the most horrific? Like, I can't think of a horror movie or book that I've read that is much worse. I- I'm trying to put myself in her shoes and, and like, watch In the shoes of the people who are watching as well. Well, but just imagine watching your arm getting like a like torn apart with a fucking knife through her hand and then watching your arm get clumsily hacked off yep yeah jaw dropped wow wow i need a nap i like the dates because i like the timelines and i try to wonder how have i not heard of such a crazy thing but i'm thinking like in the late 80s uh you know there was no internet and like yeah oh yeah this is bananas this is bonkers Terrio wasn't sticking around. He vanished into the brush. Here's some reporter audio from Global News around the time of the police search for Rock Terrio. They call themselves the Ant Hill Kids, and since 1984, they've lived on a 200-acre commune awaiting the end of the world. 
Several miles into the bush near the Burnt River is the locked gate to the commune. It was here that Gabrielle Lavallee had her arm amputated. On August 16th, fearing for her life, she fled the commune and took shelter at a home for battered women. Police have charged cult leader Rock Teralt and three of his followers with criminal negligence causing bodily harm. Warrants have been issued for their arrests. Very generally, we've had search teams. We've also had a helicopter and, a, and police dogs involved in the search. And have you come up with anything so far? At the present time, no. Mr. Terrio's whereabouts are unknown. So what are, what are police doing now? What, uh, what's the status of the investigation? The investigation's continuing. We're following up a number of leads at the present time. Still searching the bush? Searching another, a number of different locations. Think he's still in Ontario? I guess it's as good as mine. The commune is located in a rural farming area just north of Fenland Falls. Police investigators who did not wish to appear on camera told us they believe the accused are hiding out somewhere on the property. But the air and ground search was called off on Sunday. While some area residents are concerned, most neighbors say that 10 adults who lived with Tarot kept to themselves, and occasional bouts with alcohol were the only disturbances in an otherwise peaceful coexistence. Yeah. In an otherwise peaceful existence, Mike. Police captured Terrio six weeks later with two of his wives and two of his children trying to flee into the U.S. Oh, how'd that go? Not well. Not well, because he was busted. <laughs> he was charged with his attacks on Gabrielle Lavallee, pled guilty, and was sentenced to 12 years behind bars, later reduced to 10 years on appeal. Oh, okay. Yeah. However, now safely behind bars, some of the commune members rolled over on Rock. They told authorities about the brutal murder of Solange Boyard in 1988 and Terrio's extracurricular activities afterward. Yeah. Terrio was charged with second-degree murder, and investigators with the Crown went to work trying to find evidence that not only should Terrio be convicted of murder, but should be labeled a dangerous offender as well. Terrio, however, agreed to plead guilty to second-degree murder, provided that he'd never be tried for the other assaults sexual or otherwise. <sighs> the Crown agreed to the deal. Yeah, I, I, I can understand. You know, it's going to be tough to kind of prove uh, with only witness statements. I mean, I'm sure you could find uh, the uh, remains. Still, and there were still members of the group that were denying everything yeah. and saying it was somebody else. And yeah, so if you, can, if you can get a like a confirmed conviction. Yeah. In 1993... Rock Terrio, the Canadian Messiah, was sentenced to life in prison. He was first housed in Millhaven Maximum Security, later home to one Paul Bernardo. A few of his wives lived just down the road from the prison in a cabin and ran a bakery to make ends meet. One would visit him every six weeks for a conjugal, and Rock fathered his 28th child behind bars. Oh. <sighs> Well, yeah, I think there's a point at which conjugals shouldn't be permitted. Yeah. But I guess that, uh, yeah, I'm no authority. 13 years after his incarceration, now in Dorchester Penitentiary in New Brunswick, Terrio came up for parole. No. He asked the board not to let him out as he feared he'd be murdered on the outside. Maybe he was more of a prophet than he was given credit for. On February 26, 2011, a convicted 60-year-old murderer from Port-au-Port, Newfoundland, named Matthew Gerard MacDonald, was seen on video entering Terrio's cell. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go play some cards? 
Video then showed the two men struggling and coming out of the cell and McDonald yanking a shank from Terrio's neck. Whoa. Terrio then collapsed in a pool of blood, nearly decapitated. Whoa. McDonald then calmly walked to the nearest guard and offered him the weapon he'd used to kill the 63-year-old cult leader, saying, That piece of shit's down on the range. Here's the knife. I sliced him up. Oh, so, you know, that dilemma of the rational side of me says, it's not how you solve things. That's um, murder under any circumstance is not good. But then the emotional side of me says, yeah, you get a McDonald." thought you might enjoy his end. Yeah, it? yeah. Like it again. I don't. I don't ever like to get joy out of murder or death. But uh, yeah, when when it's people like this terrible human being, you do not. get some satisfaction of hearing that they suffered. And what do you think? I mean, you mentioned it at the beginning, and I, I noticed it too. Uh, when I was writing it, it sounded like he was kind of a normal guy growing yeah, up. Yeah, it certainly seemed like a good social life. Yeah, uh, like all all signs pointed to just you know things it, are going to be okay. Especially given his upbringing, like it sounded like he Even was though doing strict. And, yeah, yeah, it sounded like he was doing quite quite well and, yeah. and healthy. But um, the minute drugs, drink, and pain entered his life, he just lost his mind. Yeah, just yeah. I mean, there, there might be more to it. There might be more like. There could definitely be some mental health issues that led to yep. drinking and, and, and stuff like that too. But yeah, it's just it went. It, it took a dramatic right turn in his life. He was definitely insane yeah. and saw himself as uh, a messiah of yeah. sorts. I think anytime you're pro- proclaiming that and uh, uh, I mean, you know, running a cult, it's, yeah, it's pretty clear that you're bonkers. <laughs> there you go, and that's it for this week's case. Um, Ooh, yeah. Before we go, we want to give some shout-outs to our Patreon patrons. Yeah, let's do it. This week's good eggs are Sid and Meg Early from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Oh, hey. Thanks, Sid and Meg. Julia Mitchell from Vancouver, B.C. Woo-woo! Vancouver, Julia Mitchell. Jennifer Anglace from Seymour, Connecticut. She upped her pledge. Oh, Seymour, Connecticut. Sounds like a lovely place. Tell tell me if I'm wrong, Jennifer. (laughs) Mindy Reynolds, who we just saw on our live show. Yes, we did. From Vancouver, B.C. She's a Canucks fan uh, and just as sad as uh, Scott and I, I think. Yeah, yeah. Is uh, telling me about the um, Kurt McLean doll. Yeah. Not doll, but uh, yeah. thing. <laughs> Amanda from Winnipeg, Manitoba. Thank you, Amanda. I always have a warm spot for Winnipeg, even though it's cold there. Winterpeg. Yeah. I, again, something, you know, my dad was born there and stuff. I always have good memories. So why aren't you a Jets fan then? I'm not, I'm not, not a Jets fan. Okay. There no, you I, I definitely, I think we were talking about in the live drive, I said I'd like to see them succeed. I would love to see Canadian team win. This yeah. Year. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I, I'm a Winnipeg Jets fan. A Canadian fan. team wins every year anyway, just because of all the Canadians on the teams. Exactly. No, I'm a huge underdog guy. And so anytime, like the Winnipeg Jets, uh, you know, uh, uh, historically have been underdogs, so. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I got, let's go Winnipeg Jets. Paula Cassidy Bishop from Yorkshire in Great Britain. Uh, here's one that I'm not quite sure of. Riddick 116. Yeah, less the legal last name. Is that a robot? Uh, no. No, okay. No, you, it sounds like a Terminator or something like that. It, it does. It does. And, and Riddick is definitely a, a fan of the Terminator movies. Okay. 
Yep. And thus the naming of Riddick. But where's Riddick what? from, though? Uh, uh, well, space. Uh, Chronicles of Riddick. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, you saw the documentaries about him, right? The documentaries. Yeah, the documentaries. Uh, is really, he's Vin Diesel. Oh, so Vin Diesel is is a uh, is a patron of the show. He's listening. He's listening. I know yeah. Vin Diesel plays World of Warcraft too, so maybe I've played with Vin Diesel. Yeah, maybe you have. You mean Riddick One One Six? Right. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. But no, that's where. Um, yeah, those they're good documentaries. You can learn a lot about Riddick by watching these. You know what else is Riddick? Oh, my story. Your story is pretty Riddick. Yeah, I'm I'm Riddick. <laughs> Zo Zo Riskin. From Auburn, Washington. See, I always get, I don't know how, it's, if it's ever pronounced Zoe or Zoe, because I have a friend, yeah, I same know. spelling, and it's like, it's like, no, it's Zoe. Yeah. So I never, I, I never know. Zoe I, or guar- Zoe? Guaranteed or that I'll get it wrong. it could be Zoo. <laughs> I don't know. Toe, like Zoe, yeah. <laughs> we mispronounce everything. Kimberly Howlett. Uh, another friend of ours from the Umberyard. She's a PM. Wow. And from Cambridge in Great Britain. I don't know why, but I really love it when we get uh, people from Great Britain. I do too. Yeah. Especially if they be PM. Come on, Kimberly. That's awesome. Thank you. And then Allison. Yes. Is, is that the one that uh, um, Elvis Costello is singing about? Allison? No. That's all? No. Okay. No, but I haven't heard the song, so maybe. Okay. Tell me about it. Sing it to me. It's just Allison is the. Uh, I don't know the. I, I probably won't be able to hit the notes because... But that that's part of the charm, Mike. No. Nope. Does it go like this? Allison! Yeah, you're pretty a much. Yumber yard member. No, well, I don't know and if that's the case. you listen to the podcast. She does. And contribute to the Patreon. And you're from Florida, Ooh, I think. Allison! Tallahassee. Are you, you a Tallahassean? Maybe. Maybe. Is that how the song goes? I don't know. I think it is. Well, it is now. Michelle Ray, she's from Magnolia, Texas, and magnolias are one of my favorite flowers to look at. And what a movie. And Yes, also a great oh, movie. Yes. And magnolias here seem to last just briefly. It's oh. like they appear, they have these beautiful big flowers, and then they just die. Well, they want to make you work for it. I guess They so. want to make you work for it. Like, you, you've got to, you got to, you got to be on, on, on ball. To see a magnolia, like you can't, you can't yeah, be, enough. you can't be dicking around. There's one right out the driveway here. Yeah. Yep. Monet Terrio. Oh boy. Wait a minute. Did she know we were going to do this? What? Are you kidding? No, I'm not. She's from Las Vegas, Nevada, and yes, it is spelled the same way as Rock Terrio. If you are a child or grandchild of Rock, we apologize profusely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, what that is? You know what's interesting? She bonkers. gave us money twice this week. That is bonkers. She also gave us donut money on Patreon what as well. So Monet. thank you, Monet. Thank you Terry so Ho. much. And speaking of donut wow. money, we got some from uh, Giselle San Luis. Oh, cool. Leah Briscoe. Thank you. Andrew Hughes. Wow. Glenn Tarbay or Tarbet. Wow. Helen Clements and Melissa Brunette wow. or Brunet. It was still, we got a lot of donut money this week. We did. Wow. Thanks so much to our patrons, past and present, for your pledges. We really appreciate your support of the show. And thanks to those who supported us uh, by sending donut money to darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support the show on Patreon, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash darkpoutine. That is very cool. Allison! 
Allison. Thank you exactly. for listening to Allison. <laughs> if you don't already, it would mean a lot to us if you subscribe to the show. You can easily find us on iTunes, Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. Spotify. We're getting Spotify ads now. Yeah. We're all over the place there. Yeah. And uh, Spotify, interestingly, you know how you can't download music unless you're a Prime member? Yeah. You can download podcasts and save them. If ah, you're not. I was curious. So okay. podcasts are free, 100% free oh, on Spotify. Spotify. Spotify wants to give iTunes a run for their money, and I hope they do. Yeah, sweet. Good on you, Spotify. Thank you. Check out our website, www.darkpoutine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. I'll have some pictures of this creepy jerk that we did this week. Please give us a follow or a like on Facebook, Twitter. Twitter. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Dark Poutine. Most importantly... Tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Incredibly. Join our Facebook groups, the Yumber Yard, or if you like animals, join the Barn Yard. And I guess I'm about to create one called the Yarn Yard for all the, yeah, yeah, all the knitters out there. I've been I've been hearing a word. The crafty yeah. folk. Yeah. Uh, so that is it for this week. Whew. Yeah. Until next week, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye-bye, everybody. Guten Tag. Mm-hmm.